And welcome to Our House, our special segment with Congressman Jim McGovern. Congressman McGovern, thank you so much for being with us on a regular basis and for being with us today in particular. We really appreciate it. I'd like to begin by asking you your thoughts about John Oliver. We've had a number of his former colleagues and uh, persons who worked on his staff with us in the last week. He died a week ago. I'd appreciate it if you would share your thoughts about John Oliver and what he meant to this district. Well, John was a, a, not only a great public servant, but he was a dear friend. And, uh, you know, he was had a quiet demeanor about him. But uh, behind that quiet demeanor was a, a man with a, with, a, with a spine of steel. Um, and, you know, you look around Western Massachusetts and, and Central Massachusetts, you know, there's not a project that doesn't have his fingerprints on it. Uh, but uh, but he's also a man of great conviction. I mean, we got arrested twice together um, uh, protesting the genocide in Darfur. And, uh, you know, and he, uh, um, you know, he, without hesitation, uh, stepped up and said, you know, it's the right thing to do. Let's do it. Um, you know, people are getting annihilated halfway around the world and they need a voice. And, and, and he was that voice. And so I um, but I, I just liked him as a human being, too. I just was a, he was just a, a great, great, wonderful human being. I'm wondering if you could shed some light on this for me. I really like John Oliver. And when you spoke to him about issues that he was involved with, boy, was he knowledgeable. And boy, boy, did he get down into the weeds. Um, and he really knew the ins and outs. So interesting to me that he was, by training, a chemist and a chemistry right. professor. Can you shed some light on how this person went from being a chemistry professor at UMass to being this really effective public servant and a longtime senator in the Massachusetts Senate and a longtime 20-year uh, congressional representative over 40 years in the legislature. Can you put shed some light on that well, transition or the, the coming together of those different skill sets? Well, I mean, you're right about the fact that he's probably one of the smartest people any of us have ever encountered. I used to joke when I would ask him a question and he would start to answer it. I would say, I don't need to know that much. <laughs> just, give me, just give me the cliff notes. Um, but, uh, but because he knew so much, um, I think he cared uh, a great deal. Um, I mean, he, he, he knew um, when, when you talked about people struggling, I mean, he, he knew the ins and outs of what people were going through. I mean, he studied everything. He read everything. And as a result, I think that's, you know, that uh, caused him um, to devote most of his life to public service. And um, and he made a real difference. You know, not a flashy guy. I mean, not a not a not known for his oratory or for, you know, for, you know, making headlines. Uh, but he just got things done. Uh, and he always was on the right side of the issues. And again, an amazing human being. And, you know, and I to the people of. Western Massachusetts, who are responsible for electing him to the legislature and to Congress, you know, I just want to say I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, the country is better off because of his service, and um, but he would not have served without the support and the confidence of the people in Western Mass. Well, one last question about that. John Olver, to me, was the antithesis of a politician. He, you were generous, I think, in your description of his oratorical skills. I mean, we used to joke about John's going to give a speech. <laughs> what shall we order for dinner? You know, that sort of thing. Um, but he was he was the non-politician politician. What was the secret sauce that he had or 
I'm not sure I want to put it that way. What, what was what was his what was in John Olver that made him so much a reflection of his district that he won and won big most of the time? Well, I think, well, I think it's it's his intelligence and his sincerity. Look, people knew he was the real deal. You know, people knew uh, that when he spoke. You know, he spoke from the heart. Sometimes he spoke long, but it was nonetheless from the heart. And it was, and it was, and, it, and no one ever felt they were being, you know, BS by this guy. I mean, they all, they, they, they you know, he, he kind of, he, he, it was like the facts, you know, nothing but the facts. And that's what, that's the way he operated. And so he didn't need to, you know, give a speech with a hundred applause lines in it for people to want to support him. People support him because they had confidence in him. In him. They believed that he would do what was right. They believed that he would always tell it to them straight. And I think, you know, that was his secret. That is why people stuck with him for all of these many, many years uh, when he was in the state legislature and in Congress. So, um, you know, he's a he's a role model in that example. I mean, too much of politics t- today is about theatrics and drama and, you know, who can what was the performance like? You know, not what we're not what the question is not what the result was, but what it was the performance like. Did he or she perform well? And with him, it was always about the results. It was not about the performance because he knew at the end of the day that what really mattered was results. It was helping people, you know, not you know wowing them with a with a one liner. And um, but uh, but in any event, I I, I think by any measure, uh, when you look at Western Massachusetts, uh, things are uh, things are much much. Uh, much much better because of his public service. Yeah, I agree. Thank thank you for sharing those thoughts and words, Congressman McGovern. I know that you are at the Democratic Issues Conference. I know yep. that President Biden will be speaking there tonight. I'd like to know. He actually, he spoke. He spoke, he spoke last, last night. night. Oh, last night, yeah, right? Oh, what did he say? Yeah. Well, I mean, he he basically you know talked about all the wonderful things that were accomplished during the last two years and about how our focus needs to be on implementation uh, of what we passed. I mean, we passed the largest infrastructure bill in, in, in history, certainly since the creation of the interstate highway. We need to implement it. We need to make sure that what needs to get done gets done. Talked about the, the CHIPS Act to, to rebuild our supply chain and our manufacturing base here in, in this country and uh, and about how important it was for us to um you know, to make sure that that's implemented properly so that we're creating jobs and opportunities, um, you know, all over this country. Uh, we talked about the investments to combat climate change. And, uh, you know, I mean, went on and on and on. There's lots and lots of stuff that was done. We need to make sure that it gets implemented. And uh, so he was he was he was in good form last night. And I'm talking to you now. We're in Baltimore. I'm, I'm talking to you now. I'm in a, I'm in a you know, in between a, in a hallway here surrounded by Secret Service because we're waiting for the vice president to show up. She's going to be speaking here this morning. Uh, but uh, but this is this conference is about kind of figuring out how, where we go from here. How do we operate um, in a Congress that is really dominated by the most extreme elements of the Republican Party? I mean, the, we're not talking about just the normal liberal conservative debates. We're talking about people who you know, don't believe in anything, only believe in destroying things and who believe in conspiracy theories and, you know, who are interest, more interested in Twitter followers than in helping anybody. And so how do you operate and try to move things forward in that kind of a situation? Well, Congressman McGovern, you were chair of the Rules Committee when the Democrats were in the majority. Rules Committee, uh, not the 
most prominent committee uh, in Congress, except for those who really care about how work gets done. So without the rules, nothing happens in Congress, and I'd be interested to know what you can tell us about what the Rules Committee is like now that the Republican Party is in the majority in the House. Well, it's particularly difficult because um, the extreme elements that uh, helped deliver Kevin McCarthy's victory as Speaker after 15 votes and but four or five days late of, of, of voting, uh, they they figured out what the rules committee is, and so they wanted to stack the rules committee with people who, you know, are in the in the, in the tradition of Marjorie Taylor Greene, and they did. And so it is hard to sit there and to listen to people spew garbage uh, to talk about um, how vaccines kill people, um, how uh, the Trump really won the election. Um, to go off on all these wild tangents and QAnon conspiracy theories, it is it is it is sad, and it is really hard to figure out how to, you know, how to how to move things forward with 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 people like that. I mean, there are some good people on the rules committee. The, the chair of the rules committee, Tom Cole of Oklahoma, is a is someone I get along with, but. I, I even when I look at him sometimes, I think he feels a little bit demoralized when he has to listen to what he has to listen to. So we have to get through this. We have to make sure they don't create too much damage. But I'll go back to what President Biden said last night. I think our focus really needs to be on the implementation of all that we passed. Um, it is important that we get the infrastructure bill right. It is important we get the chips bill right, the the inflation reduction right. All you know these bills, these historic bills. Um, with you know uh, incredible resources that are now available for our states and our cities and our towns, we need to get it right. We need to make sure that it gets to the places where it needs to get to and helps as many people as possible. Does President Biden need help from Congress, legislation that actually passes Congress in order to implement these really important bills, or can he do no, most of it by executive he, action? He could do most of it by himself. I mean, we appropriated the monies. We appropriated kind of the and we, we authorize the ground rules, um, so it's up to the agencies and the departments to, to do that. Now, there are some things that we're going to have to do this year that, are gonna, that nonetheless are important. We need a farm bill. We have a lot of farmers in western Massachusetts. We need to make sure that they, and they're not the, the corporate farmers, they're the small and medium-sized family farms. We need to make sure that they get the support that they need. We need to make sure that, uh, that the Congress doesn't cut the SNAP benefits for people. Uh, that's one of the things they're focused on right now. Is how do we, how do we, how can they want, they want to balance the budget by taking food away from hungry people? So this, this, this and we, we need to pass. Uh, we need to increase the debt ceiling. And we need to pass spending bills for next year. Those things have to be done. So we need Congress in those regards. But, but in, to impl- implement the historic legislation that was passed the last two years, much of that is uh, within the uh, discretion of the administration. Uh, Congressman McGovern, this is Buzz. I just want to circle back to what you were talking about before. You, um, your mentor was Congressman Joe Moakley, and yep. you famously quoted him as uh, when you said, "What do I need to know to start this job?" As you were taking your oath for o- of office, he said, "Get to know everyone here as a person. Get to know what they stand for, who they are, and always treat them with respect." Just circling back to what you were talking about before, the Republican majority and some of the. People there, are you still trying to get them to know them and still trying to treat them with respect? Yeah, I, I'm trying to. It's hard um, because when there are people who tell you that uh, those who attacked the Capitol on January 6th were heroes, 
Uh, and I was the last person on the House floor that day, and I saw what happened. And 140 Capitol Police officers injured. Some people died. The trauma that many are still uh, dealing with, including a lot of our staffers, um, you know, I, it, it, it's hard to want to warm up to those people, but I'm trying. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, I'm trying to build a relationship so that we can actually, you know, hopefully find common ground on things. You don't have to agree on everything to agree on something. If it's something we agree on, we ought to, we ought to come together on. And uh, no matter what it is, I don't care who it is, but it is difficult. Part of the problem is a lot of them don't want to get to know me. Um, and, um, and, you know, you get situations where some of them, when you get in an elevator, they don't even lift their head up to acknowledge that you're there. Uh, so, um, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a, it, it, it is a, it is a difficult situation. We probably need a, either a good therapist to get us through all this or an exorcist. I don't know what, but we, <laughs> we get a good knowledge. Um, but we, we have to. At the end of the day, we, we have to find a way to, to get things done. I mean, you know, really, the focus of everybody, no matter what our politics may be, ought to be we got to get stuff done. And that's where my head is always at. But it is hard. I mean, when people get up and just deliberately lie or deliberately, you know, present things that are conspiracy theories, it's just, it's just hard to, to want to engage them in a constructive, serious way. Which brings, <clears throat> excuse me, brings me back, Congressman McGovern, to two related questions. One is, what do you hope to come out of? What do you hope comes out of this issues conference, this Democratic issues conference, which you are now attending in Baltimore? Uh, President Biden, as you told us, addressed the conference last week, and Vice President Kamala Harris will address the conference today. That's one question. What do you hope to come out of it? And the second is related, which is. Is there something that you hope to come out of this with regard to how the Democratic Party can become the majority party after the next election yeah. in the House of Representatives? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, one is the two things I hope to come out of this is one is, you know, how do we move in a way that we get stuff done? Right. In this very polarized Congress, how do we have to operate in order to get some things over the finish line? Um, the second thing is, you know, how do we build a case um, so that we can take back the House uh, in, in two years. And I think that's, um, you know, that, you know, that you know, a lot of the challenges that we need to overcome now can go away if we if we get back, if we're in charge again. And, um, you know, what are the messages that work? And, you know, and, and what are the things that really are people's minds? You know, sometimes it's not, it's not just about being right on an issue. Sometimes it's about you communicate with people and sometimes democrats let's be honest i mean we we um you know we we kind of disregard people who don't think the way we do i mean we don't you know if they don't vote our way sometimes we we tend to kind of say well they just don't know what they're talking about i mean people have their opinions and they want their opinions respected and if we're going to change people's minds we have to we have to begin from a position of respect i mean that my old Boss, Buzz mentioned Joe Moakley. I mean, he always was very, very good about that. He'd walk into a room when somebody was telling them about how much they disagree with him, and he would try to establish a, a, a relationship and a rapport and then begin to have a debate about the substance of the issue. And sometimes he would able, was able to change people's minds. And Moakley also, also, also used to say that his favorite bird was the crane. And when he would drive into Boston and see all those cranes at work, um, he knew that people were working the people had jobs, the people were able to put food on the table and be able to afford their mortgages and their rents. 
And so we have to make sure that it is clear that we are about, you know, we are on the side of people, <laughs> that we are not on the side of corporations and billionaires and zillionaires, but we are on the side of regular people who are trying to, you know, make life better for their families. And so, um, so those are the things that I think we're going to, you know, that we need to figure out how we can do better on. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Congressman Jim McGovern. This has been our house, a monthly segment with the congressman. Thanks so much for your time. We really All the best. Be safe. Bye. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Skates cutting the ice and sticks pounding boards. The slap of the puck and a ping off the post. The chirp of the whistle and the blaring of the horn. Hockey is here. Tune in for all the sounds of the season right here on the UMass Sports Network. 1415-1400-1240 WHMP. Alison Bechdel's graphic memoir, Fun Home, left off the page and onto the Broadway stage. Alison describes her landmark comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For, as half op-ed column, half serialized Victorian novel. Alison Bechdel will be at Smith tonight, reading from her new graphic memoir, The Secret to Superhuman Strength, and more. Alison Bechdel, a reading, plus a book signing with the Broadside Bookshop, tonight at John M. Green Hall at Smith College. It's free. Get tickets online at Smith College Tickets. My name is Jim Moran, owner of MJ Moran Mechanical Contractors. I am proud to support my community hospital through annual gifts and more recently by including Cooley Dickinson in my estate plans. Cooley Dickinson is always here for us and the people we love. A great way to leave a legacy is to include Cooley Dickinson in your will. Your legacy can transform health care for your community for future generations. CooleyDickinson.org slash plan giving. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we have back with us in the studio Steve Sanderson, events producer for the Northampton Arts Council, who has with him and us today a very special guest because we want you to know about this amazing performance that's about to happen. Steve. Hi, Bill. The Back Porch Festival is this weekend all over Northampton. It's the expanded format. There are eight venues this year. And the Back Porch Festival obviously came out of Jim Olson's Back Porch radio show that we've been listening to for years on Sister Station WRSI. And what does it mean, a Back Porch Festival? It means that we're bringing festivals back to downtown. It's going to look a little bit like first night, you know, where you get to buy a ticket and walk around and discover artists. Eight venues, 
when is the festival? Where do we buy tickets? Help me understand. This sounds like I, I, I should tell you. I've been. I've been. Where have you been? I've been doing. I've been in Mauritius. I I just got just traveled for thirty three or thirty eight hours to get back, and I'm pleased to be here. I've done my best to stay current with events in Northampton, but help me out. Okay. Well, welcome back, Bill. Thank you. You were missed. All right, so if you want to get tickets for the Back Porch Festival, there aren't that many left, to be honest with you. You have to go to backporchfestival.com, backporchfest.com. There are still tickets for the Watch House show at the Academy, which come with what we're calling a Ramble Pass. And the Ramble Pass is something that gets you into all the venues, sort of like your first night button. Okay, and when is the festival? It starts tomorrow tomorrow at uh, all over town, tomorrow Friday. So it's all day Friday? Yeah. Sandy is getting ready to play tomorrow, right, Sandy? Okay. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I'm getting I, ready I, to play Saturday. Hi, Sandy. Saturday. Yeah. And, and for, our, for, for our first, way, first uh, way that we're going to introduce the Backport Festival is we're going to say, Steve Sanderson, we have a great guest here. Yeah. The intro is yours. Well, all right. Sandy Bailey, local Franklin County performer, recording artist, amazing performer. Yes. Uh, you're going to get to see her Saturday if you get your Ramble Pass. And uh, come join us at the Back Porch Festival. But Sandy, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Are you going to play for us today? I am. Before you do that, tell us where you'll be performing. I'm going to be at the Click Workspace on Market Street. At I have two sets. I have a 6 o'clock set and a 7 o'clock set. And the pass gets us into either one of her performances? Exactly. Yeah. It's sort of like first night. You know how we clear the room so that everybody gets to see a performer? You know, because there are eight venues going on all at the same time throughout the city. So people you know, are going to come and go and leave and be able to catch a set. That's why we repeat things. Do you want to be able... Well, let me ask you this. Who else besides Sandy will be performing? Can you give us an idea? Well, yeah. You know, the Arts Council... This is the first time the Arts Council has partnered up with Signature Sounds for this festival. And one of the things we focused on and brought to the table was uh, organizing and bringing as much local uh, performers to the, to this festival. So... Uh, Friday night at Progression, it's all local. It's a local showcase with Claudia Malibu, Ray Mason Band, and Steve Westfield in the Slow Band. Wow, that sounds like fun. Anyone else you can tell us about? Sure, sure. There's Terry Flood from the Drunk Stuntmen's playing, uh, Pete Bernhard from the Devil Makes Three, uh, Willie Carlisle, Whiskey Treaty Roadshow, Chatham Rabbit, Session Americana. I, there's 50 acts. I mean, wow, it's amazing. Starting what time on Friday? Starting at uh, 6 o'clock on Friday. And going till when? Uh, Sunday at 6 o'clock. Wow. <laughs> so it's all day Friday. Yeah. All day Saturday? Yeah. Yes, all day Sunday? At, starts at uh, 2 o'clock on Saturday and then starts at 12 with uh, Jim's live broadcast at Progression Brewery. Wow. Yeah. Well, ju- just in case the listeners didn't quite get all of the different acts and performances and yeah. times, there has to be a website where we can go and decide where we're going to go and what we're going to see. All the information and the tickets that are still available are at backporchfest.com. Well, we really want to hear Sandy Bailey. We also need to at least pay some heed to the clock on which we run the radio show. So why don't we do this? Let's take a break. We're going to come back, and you're going to hear, and we're going to hear Sandy Bailey. We heard her just for a moment few moments before we came on you want to stay and listen to her play and sing it's amazing we'll be right back i'm excited you're listening to talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg
For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Holyoke Police Department sergeant has been placed on a five-day suspension without pay, according to Holyoke Police Captain Matthew Moriarty. The Holyoke Police Department confirmed as of Tuesday the sergeant's suspension was a direct result of a completed internal affairs investigation for allegedly violating the standard operating procedure. These investigation findings were sustained by Holyoke Police Department's administration. Hamden District Attorney Anthony Golini says his office is conducting an investigation into the use of force by Massachusetts State Police after being called for a man acting aggressively at MGM Springfield. Golini spoke with 22 News. We're in the process of assembling all evidence. We're observing national best practices around police use of force. And when that investigation is complete, we will, in the interest of full transparency with the public and all those concerned, issue findings and a decision as well as all the evidence, including video and so forth, that came from that incident. William Tisdell of Hartford, Connecticut, was shot and killed by police. The investigation is expected to conclude over the next few weeks. The Greenfield City Council will have a number of open seats for the upcoming election, with multiple councillors not seeking re-election. City Council President Dan Gwynn and Vice President Christine Forgey are not seeking re-election, as well as several other councillors. In a time where they are criticized for things that are not in their control, it makes this a tough time to serve in a volunteer position. That was Dan Gwynn. Anyone with intentions of running for a city council seat can take out papers to do so on April 24th. Any showers this morning will quickly dry up to some partial afternoon sunshine, a high of 44 to 48, clearing, breezy tonight, overnight low of 20 to 26. Clouds will be on the increase tomorrow. Snow arrives after 4 p.m. That'll transition over to a wintry mix Friday night. Friday's highs in the low 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El lunes, la Casa Blanca dio a las agencias gubernamentales 30 días para garantizar que no tengan la aplicación TikTok de propiedad china en dispositivos y sistemas federales. En un intento por mantener seguros los datos de Estados Unidos, todas las agencias federales deben eliminar TikTok de los teléfonos y sistemas y prohibir que el tráfico de Internet llegue a la empresa, dijo la directora de la Oficina de Administración y Presupuesto, Shalanda Young, a las agencias en un memorando de orientación. La prohibición ordenada por el Congreso a fines del año pasado sigue a acciones similares de Canadá, la Unión Europea, Taiwán y más de la mitad de los estados de Estados Unidos. La prohibición de dispositivos, si bien afecta a una pequeña porción de la base de usuarios de TikTok en Estados Unidos, agrega combustible a las llamadas para una prohibición total de la aplicación para compartir videos. Las preocupaciones de seguridad nacional sobre China aumentaron en las últimas semanas después de que un globo chino voló sobre los Estados Unidos. TikTok, propiedad de ByteDance, ha dicho que las preocupaciones se deben a información errónea y ha negado haber usado la aplicación para espiar a los estadounidenses. Este martes, el Comité de Asuntos Exteriores de la Cámara votará un proyecto de ley que le daría al presidente Joe Biden la autoridad para prohibir TikTok en todos los dispositivos de Estados Unidos. En otras informaciones, la gobernadora de Massachusetts, Maura Healey, dio a conocer el lunes un plan de reforma fiscal de aproximadamente 750 millones de dólares destinado a ofrecer ahorros significativos para familias, inquilinos, personas mayores y otros. La gobernadora está proponiendo varios cambios al Código Fiscal. El plan necesitará la aprobación legislativa. Se espera que Healy presente su proyecto de ley de reforma tributaria el miércoles, junto con las recomendaciones presupuestarias requeridas para el próximo año fiscal. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we continue our preview of the Back Porch Festival. Steve Sanderson, events producer from the Northampton Arts Council, one more time with feeling. Oh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Back Porch Festival, eight venues. It's a festival all over downtown Northampton. There are 50 bands. You get a ramble pass, and you can go to backporchfest.com to get whatever's left for tickets. They've been selling really well, but backporchfest.com. And then you have to trade that ticket in at one of the box offices, and one of the box offices is at 164 Main Street, the old Birdhouse music location. You'll be able to trade in your ticket for your button, sort of like first night. Button. Ticket for a button. Ticket for a button. Trade a ticket for a button. And then you can go to any one of the eight venues, 50-plus acts. Exactly. Wow. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all all day and evening in downtown Northam. This is amazing. This is amazing. We have with us in the studio, oh, I like this, one more time with feeling, the well, introduction, Steve Sanderson. Awesome performer, songwriter, Franklin County girl, Sandy Bailey. Sandy, before you play for us and sing for us, give us a 30-second uh, sense of what your musical career has been. We love hearing about local folks. Oh, thank you. Yes, I've been playing around the area for a very long time. I released an album. You're not that old. It can't be a very long time oh, by my standards. Oh, thank you so much. How old do you think I am? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is, I, have, I have the right to remain silent. Well, Everything I say can and will be used here, against this me. This will give you a clue. Okay. Um. I released an album in 2010 when my children were toddlers, and I've been working on my songwriting for many years since then, but did not pursue a musical career because I was raising my kids as a single mom. I recall this story, yes. And, and working up at the People's Pint. I love to plug that place because yes, it's a great job. It is, <laughs> and a great place. And uh, come see me there. Um, and now my kids are teenagers. And they don't care about me anymore. So <laughs> They'll be back. They'll be back. Take us from those of us who have been through this. They'll be back. They do come back. So now I got to record an album. I've been down to Nashville workshopping songs with Mary Gaucher and Gretchen Peters and working on my craft. And I made a produce, self-produced album that I'm really proud of that's going to be released. When? This year. Oh. Oh, big plans are in the works for that. But... I don't have an exact date yet, but I promise you it will be this year, and there will be some announcements coming very soon. I can't wait. I, I have heard you, I've heard your music. I've heard you play. It oh, really, you. Listeners, you are in for a treat. What are you going to do for us this morning? This one's called Get the Message Through. It's based on a Wall Street Journal headline, um, sort of saying moms in, single age, moms in middle age, more connected than ever through social media, but they're lonelier than ever. And this is your original composition? Original, yes. Okay. Sandy Bailey. Just got home, working the nine to five, 32 years of answering phones. I microwave my dinner tonight, sit in my chair and start to scroll. Maybe I could comment on your picture. I can't believe how much your baby's grown. Maybe I could write you a letter. Or maybe it's just been too 
doubt my boy is his father's son he can't forgive the things i've done i was hard on him it was tough love and had to teach him right from wrong maybe i could comment on his picture You are amazing. Where will you be performing this at weekend? Click Workspace on Market Street on Saturday, March 4th at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. We have to run, but I have to ask you one question before we go. Who were your major musical influences? Well, I grew up singing gospel music in church. I grew up in a biracial family in a biracial church singing gospel music. So as a kid, it was always like Mahalia Jackson and Andre Crouch and gospel singers. And yeah. that still plays so to speak, in your music. Yes. Very much. Yes. You have an amazing voice. You have an Thank incredible you, talent. I can't wait to hear your show. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. We're going to be right back. Reverend the Rabbi, we have the Reverend Andrea Vazian. We're going to be talking about the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change Leadership right after these messages. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. 
Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. Chess, advice, whiskey, and acapella. What's going on? A look around the valley with provisions. The Silver Chord Bowl, New England's longest-running collegiate acapella showcase, returns for its 39th year, Sunday, March 12th at Northampton's Academy of Music. You play chess? Join the chess club at East Hampton's Williston Library Wednesdays at 4 p.m. All welcome. It's drop-in chess at Northampton's Forbes Library, all levels. Also Wednesdays from 1 to 3. The Academy Youth Productions presents Dear Edwina Jr., the adventures of a plucky young advice giver extraordinaire as she shares wisdom and song with the neighborhood kids march 9th and 10th at northampton's academy of music have a wee dram won't you it's an irish whiskey tasting friday march 17th four to seven at provisions in downtown northampton this is jim neal with what's going on a monthly look around at food and beverage arts and music and anything cool what's going on is presented by provisions wine beer cheese at the foot of crafts avenue in downtown northampton in the mill district in north amherst and now in the long meadow shops You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And on this segment of The Reverend and the Rabbi, we have with us the Reverend Andrew Evazian, who is the founder of the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change Leadership. We are so pleased you could be with us today because we want you to know what is happening now, just announced, at at the Truth School. But first, well... Andrea is a proud mom, and she wants to plug her son. So since you were here hearing about the Back Porch Festival, you want to, well, get in on that conversation, don't you, Reverend? I am so eager to get in on that conversation. And thank you, Buzz and Bill, for inviting me here today and allowing me to do a shout-out to Sasha Clarivazian. My son is a full-time musician. You've just heard about the wonderful Back Porch Festival happening this weekend, and my son is playing at uh, 3 p.m. on Saturday at Progressions on um, Pearl Street. He is a indie, folk, beautiful singer and performer. <laughs> I am totally biased. Uh, he. I, I didn't notice that. You notice anything in that? I didn't know. <laughs> it looks like Dan, 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 like Dan, Dan, sounded, sounded sort of neutral. neutral. Very neutral. I'm, I'm, very yes. Yes. I'm beaming. I'm beaming, and the three of them can see it. <laughs> I will just say, now that I have the microphone, that... Sasha lived in Austin, Texas for eight years and was part of a very successful, even award-winning band called American Dreamer. They won the Black Fret Award, which is a big deal in the Southwest. He performed at South by Southwest, Austin City Limits, and other wonderful, I mean, venues all across, has toured nationally, and moved here a few months ago with wife Courtney, who is a full-time cellist, and daughter Fiona and he is now heading up the music program at Rise Prep Academy, a public school in Springfield. And he's performing, I'll say again, Saturday at 3 p.m. at Progressions. He's terrific. Wow. So we hope come out. Bill Newman, I, I, how many times have I told you not to give a microphone to a mother to talk about her performing <laughs> son and grandchild? <laughs> many times, Buzz, you have. I, I, I give you that. I was going to say, uh, look at all of the money he's going to save on a publicist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just, Andrea, while you're, while you're promoting your uh, son, why don't you tell us whether Sasha will be playing 
uh, alone or whether he is a backup band. He, you know, tell, give us some more of that because this it's part you know, of your it's part, and I have to tell you this part of your job. Yes, thank you. Part of my job as the publicist. The publicist. These, these these three are, are, are laughing at me. Um, Bill is the backstory is Bill's a fan. Bill has heard Sasha's band and Sasha in a number of settings. This Saturday, he's actually performing alone. And um, so he'll be on acoustic guitar singing some of his beautiful original songs. They are full of heart. They are full of heart, overwhelming, saturated with goodness and love. And um, he does, as Bill knows, he does a great job. He does. He does. And one more time, where? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. He's, <laughs> at, he's Saturday uh, at 3 p.m. at Progression, and everybody should come out. You will be, you will be glad you are there. It's a very good-feeling, uh, deeply moving uh, set. He's terrific. Yeah, he is. Um, we're going to leave Mom aside for a moment. He's great. He's yeah, very talented, very talented, and and. Uh, his his ability to compose and to sing and to accompany himself, really. You, you will be glad you spent the time and got the ticket. One more time. Thank you. It's Saturday at 3 p.m. at Progression on um, Pearl Street, and uh, Sasha's doing a solo set. Sasha K.A., he's in on the website, in all the literature. Come down and join us and, and enjoy yourselves. And it's Back Porch Fest, is that right? That's right. Backporchfest. I don't remember if it was org or com, but I have a feeling if you do backporchfest, you'll get in there. And Bill, I just want to say, I mean, Steve Sanderson was talking, he was comparing it to First Night, but we have the Northampton Jazz Festival. We have this backporch. Northampton's pretty incredible in, in supporting local regional musicians the way that it does, and I love that they do that. And, you know, I have to say that Sasha's been gone for a number of years. He was a, he was a musician in, when he lived here and in high school and before he left, and he taught music in one of the Hilltown schools. And he's come back and been welcomed by the music community, saying, you're back, play with us, perform. He's performing a great deal. He'll be at Gateway City Arts in, in April. And the music scene has welcomed and embraced him. So we are grateful for that. Really well done as a publicist. The teaser for the April gig. I mean, really very, very well done. <laughs> he, he should be proud of his mom. That's what I say. Okay. Andrea Vazian, Reverend Andrea Vazian. Uh, I want to ask you about the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change Leadership because delivered unto my house by a uh, anonymous source was the most recent catalog, the spring 2023 catalog, free classes and the tagline that you use, we do one thing well. So for those of our listeners who don't know what the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change Leadership is, we often refer to it just as the Truth School, tell our listeners what it is in sum, and then I'm going to ask you how the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change Leadership came about, because that's an amazing story. But what is it? Great question. So the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change Leadership is a movement-building school. Bill had it right. The cover of every one of our catalogs over the last six years says, we do one thing, period, well. And we do do one thing well. We teach movement-building classes that are skill-based and concrete. On Zoom, we teach about 45 classes per semester. We have a spring semester and a fall semester all our trainers are compensated, and they are all experts in their field, and all the classes are free. So you can go online and register, and then you get a link, and then you have a class that is just 
remarkably taught by this team of uh, trainers who are really experts in their field. I will say that we were formed in 2017 in the wake of Donald Trump taking office. And in 2019, we made a decision that completely transformed the school. Two years into our existence, we decided as a board and a staff that every class at the True School would be taught by a person of color. So now every one of our, 20, our 45 classes is taught by a person of color or possibly some are taught by biracial pairs. So white people can train for us, they can teach for us, but they must be paired with a person of color. That has transformed not only the work we do, but what we teach and who we teach. Now, I think that some listeners might be a little uh, confused isn't quite the word I want, but unsure of what you mean by a school, because I think that word conjures the idea of a building, usually brick, um, and having been there for decades. Not what you're talking about. Exactly right. Before the pandemic, we actually met in person in the stripe of towns and cities right down the Connecticut River Valley. We met in person in Greenfield, Northampton, East Hampton, Holyoke, and Springfield in places that were three things, free, on the bus line, and happy to have us, and wheelchair accessible, um, and four things. And we met in person for two years, three, two and a half years before the pandemic. And we never bought a building, and we don't have a place. We are all completely now online. We pivoted to fully on Zoom when the pandemic hit. And the reason we're never going back to the five cities and the in-person classes is because the True School is now national. We have people signing up for classes from Chicago, Toronto, Pasadena, Atlanta, regularly, Berkeley, Santa Fe, and we now have people signing in from Dubai and Rio de Janeiro and Oxford, England. And so we are this little organization without a building and a small budget based in Northampton. And we actually have a national, clearly national now, and international presence. We've had people take classes from 34 countries and 16, 34 states and 16 countries. And I think that's amazing. I know Buzz wants to ask you a question before that happens. Give our listeners a sense of what the classes are. The classes, and we are, should note that we should note the spring semester has just started. Has already started. The yes. spring semester has just started. It runs February, March, April, and May. So we've recently launched, and the classes are very specific, and they are all um, movement building. So I'm looking at our current catalog, con connecting the land to each other, an Earth Day circle. Here's another one. Beyond Racism 101, a workshop for activists ready to take a new leap forward. Here's another one, Points on Producing Podcasts. That's a terrific class. We have multiracial and interfaith families. For the first time, we have an 11-year-old trainer. Zion is 11, year old, 11 years old, and he's training with his parents on what it's like to be the son of a white mother and an of-color father and talking openly about multiracial and interfaith families. We have another class with Amalkar Shabazz and Rabbi Devorah Jacobson. It's time for reparations. We have a wonderful class taught by Strong Oak on um, the first day of spring called the Circle Practice to Mark the Beginning of Spring. That's a whole native circle practice that is a very, very moving experience with hers. 
We have one coming up um, soon, this Saturday, Being an Ally, Not a Savior, with Yana McClure. So they are all very specific, very focused on movement building, very concrete, skill-based. I guess it, maybe it's self-evident, but the question is, and I understand Bill Newman helped you organize. This is exactly right. The, the, the true school. But uh, it, it's a, the true school for social change leadership. What is the hope? What's it going... What do you hope it accomplishes? Great. Such a great question. We are hoping that the school is not just education-based, but there is enough encouragement and skills taught that people will step out of their comfort zone, begin writing letters to the editor, begin speaking up in city council meetings, begin bringing up issues that are maybe a little sensitive in their houses of worship, that people will move beyond being informed, which is certainly important, as we know as activists, which you both are, move beyond just hearing or being informed, wringing their hands or shaking their head, and take leadership roles in their house of worship, in their PTO, in their school community, in their wider community to say, I've learned this. I want to suggest this. I'm going forward with this. I'm organizing this. So we believe that we are touching leaders and encouraging them and promoting their leadership skills and also creating leaders. So people who have been shy, on the fence, we are in these classes saying, you can do it, and we can hold your hand every step of the way. We have people who take a class a week we have people who call this school their church. We have people who say somehow the true school has made a relational experience on Zoom, and we feel like strongly supported, motivated worker bees out there connecting with each other. Um, it is really sort of remarkable that on Zoom we have created such, a, such an amazing community. Um, if you see in the first page in the cover, in the inside cover of our uh, catalog, we have a quote from Joe Comerford, our Massachusetts state senator. And Joe says, the true school is a very necessary miracle. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Andrea Basin. You are a reverend, and you are a part of the pastoral leadership team at uh, uh, the Alden Baptist Church in S Springfield. You have been at other churches in the Valley uh, as a pastor. The Truth School came about through your telling story. You've told the story many times, and I'm looking quite a time today, about how you were called to do this. And I think that what the catalog reflects in many ways is the vision you had at the beginning when you were called to create the Truth School. That's why there are classes such as homelessness and affordable housing in Massachusetts. And... Uh, and you mentioned a number of the other ones, but I really am struck by uh, the the class that is titled "Cross Racial Relation Cross Racial Friendships Anti Racism Organizing" and the commitment to keep on keeping on a conversation. You were one of the trainers. Tell us a bit about that. About that class. Yeah. We feel that it is very important to help people learn to do what has been hard for a lot of white people which is to have cross-race dialogue that is honest, undefensive, open. And so Amihan Matias and I, one of our remarkable staff people, are going to model deep listening, sharing from the heart, and talk about our decades-old friendship, hard places where we have overcome some challenges, and how you stay in conversation, how you listen deeply, 
how white people can drop defenses and actually thank someone for criticism, for helping them grow in this journey of anti-racism activism. We believe that cross-race dialogue is very challenging for white people and needs to be modeled by biracial pairs. People who are interested in looking at the catalog want to know what courses are available, want to sign up, are enthusiastic about being part of this. Where do we go? We go to www.trueschool.org. Our website is full of information, and it has a registration button. You can register for any number of classes in any semester. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Andrea Vazian. You are listening to Talk the Talk. I can't... When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New, New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by Liberty Mutual Insurance. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. We have breaking news from Walterboro, South Carolina, where the defense has been getting set for closing arguments at Alec Murdaugh's double murder trial. Judge Clifton Newman has just removed one juror for improper conversations with people not associated with the case. I'm not... Uh, suggesting that you intentionally did anything wrong. Prosecutors wrapped up their arguments yesterday after jurors returned from a visit to the Murdaugh hunting estate where the defendant's wife and son were shot to death. Hasn't happened in months. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, met on the sidelines of today's G20 summit in India. Blinken says the subject was the war in Ukraine. I told the foreign minister uh, what I and so many others said last week at the United Nations and what so many G20 foreign ministers said today. End this war of aggression. The White House has announced a new cybersecurity strategy to bolster the nation's defenses amid a steady increase in hacking and digital crimes. CBS's Nicole Skanga. Senior administration officials told reporters the criminal justice system alone isn't going to address this problem, saying the Biden administration will employ other elements of national power to clamp down on malicious cyber actors linked to foreign adversaries like China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. The Washington Post is reporting newly unsealed documents say police found a 40 caliber gun, empty magazines, and a pocket knife at Brian Koberger's family home in Pennsylvania. He's the grad student charged with killing four undergrad students in Moscow, Idaho. Documents show police also found a shovel, gloves, and Google uh, goggles, that is, in Koberger's car. A Chicago police officer has died after a shootout on the city's southwest side. Police Superintendent David Brown says the suspect is in critical condition. What we know about the offender is he's 18 years old. Old. 
uh, not much of a criminal history, one prior violation that we've been able to find. He says the officer was responding to a report of a man chasing a woman down the street with a gun. It was a go for a Falcon 9 rocket carrying four astronauts to the International Space Station. It blasted off before the sun came up at Cape Canaveral. Correspondent Peter King was there. That bright orange flame in the sky, that deafening roar of nine Merlin rocket engines means that three astronauts, one Russian cosmonaut on their way to the International Space Station. A beautiful sight, an artificial sunrise here at the Kennedy Space Center. Monday's launch scrubbed at the last minute because of a problem with the ignition. Dow up 101. This is CBS News. Nobody should have to pay for one-size-fits-all insurance coverage. Liberty Mutual customizes your car and home insurance so you only pay for what you need. Liberty Mutual Insurance. Yeah, I'm so stressed. Our business is growing. We've got people all over now. Uma. What is that? Meditation? I'm recommending the Uma cloud phone system with auto attendant and more than 50 features. Uma? Yep. Switching to Uma is a cinch. Just $24.95 per month per user, plus taxes and fees. Uma. Now you're feeling it. Find small business calm at uma.com slash radio. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash radio. You wash your hands, you brush your teeth, but how do you clean your nose? With Navage. Navage uses powered suction to pull saline in one nostril, around the back of the nose, and out the other nostril, flushing out allergens, mucus, and germs. And it's why cleaning your nose, the body's air filter, is the next evolution in daily personal hygiene. Navage helps you breathe better, sleep deeper, and snore less, but the biggest payoff is improved health. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Holyoke Police Department sergeant has been placed on a five-day suspension without pay, according to Holyoke Police Captain Matthew Moriarty. The Holyoke Police Department confirmed as of Tuesday the sergeant's suspension was a direct result of a completed internal affairs investigation for allegedly violating the standard operating procedure. These investigation findings were sustained by Holyoke Police Department's administration. Camden District Attorney Anthony Golini says his office is conducting an investigation into the use of force by Massachusetts State Police after being called for a man acting aggressively at MGM Springfield. Golini spoke with 22 News. We're in the process of assembling all evidence. We're observing national best practices around police use of force. And when that investigation is complete, we will, in the interest of full transparency with the public and all those concerned, issue findings and a decision as well as all the evidence, including video and so forth, that came from that incident. William Tisdell of Hartford, Connecticut, was shot and killed by police. The investigation is expected to conclude over the next few weeks. The Greenfield City Council will have a number of open seats for the upcoming election, with multiple councillors not seeking re-election. City Council President Dan Gwynn and Vice President Christine Forgey are not seeking re-election, as well as several other councillors. In a time where they are criticized for things that are not in their control, it makes this a tough time to serve in a volunteer position. That was Dan Gwynn. Anyone with intentions of running for a city council seat can take out papers to do so on April 24th. Any showers this morning will quickly dry up to some partial afternoon sunshine, a high of 44 to 48, clearing, breezy tonight, overnight low of 20 to 26. Clouds will be on the increase tomorrow. Snow arrives after 4 p.m. That'll transition over to a wintry mix Friday night. Friday's highs in the low 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. 
And welcome to our program. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And this is, uh, I am a learner. I'm a lifelong learner because every Thursday I get to be here with Professor Brian Adams on Science and Sensibility segment where we, we look at our planet. We look at how we're doing. So, Brian, how are we doing this morning? How is the planet doing or how are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, Those are two big questions. Let's stick with it. We're doing good because we have a really interesting guest uh, today. Uh, we talk a lot on this show about climate change. And one of the things that we can do most about climate change is to preserve land, to take it out of development, to lock it up into forest land or farmland. And one of the ways to do that is through our vibrant and active land trusts in our area. And I think most of our listeners, or many of our listeners, are familiar with the Kestrel Land Trust, but not as many may be familiar with the Mount Grace Land Trust. So today we have on the show Emma Ellsworth. Emma comes to, a, to Mount Grace as the executive director of, after a rich and varied professional life elsewhere, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, I want to read one sentence about Mira's, I'm sorry, Emma's uh, bio, which I thought was interesting. It says, love in the land, love of the land is in her blood. In this age of crazy storms, unprecedented weather, and bird population decline, conservation of our backyard is more important than ever. Emma, welcome to the show and thank you for being on. Thank you so much, Brian. It's a real treat to be here. So your backyard is North Quabbin, and can you talk a little bit about the work that Mount Grace does in protecting and preserving some of that gorgeous North Quabbin land? Sure. I'm very, very lucky to live really at the base of Tully Mountain and a contiguous 8,000 acres. That was one of the sort of initial and pioneering Mount Grace projects. So Mount Grace has been around for 37 years, and we've protected over 37,000 acres, so averaging about 1,000 acres a year. And we focus a lot on contiguous land, so protecting parcels that are adjacent to already protected landscapes. That gives our wildlife and our, even our plant life room to migrate, room to move in response to climate change and builds in resilience to our landscape. And then Mount Grace is really known as a land trust that's not protecting land from people, but protecting and restoring the relationship between land and people. So we've focused a lot on working landscapes, on protecting farms, and also working on farm viability, as well as the working forest land. And not only are you protecting farmland, but you're uh, incorporating um, the whole food cycle into the work that you do. Co-op and Harvest Food Co-op in Orange uh, is a uh, co-op uh, that uh, takes produce from local farms and sells it. And, and you had a lot to do with the uh, forming the co-op. Is that right? Well, it was an interesting project. Basically, when our farm team was working with our local farmers, one of the real obstacles that they were articulating to farm viability was markets for the small family farm. The farm that's producing, you know, a couple handfuls of bushels of carrots, not anything that would fit a wholesale market. And so at the same time, there was a long-standing small co-op in a very tiny space. 
So Mount Grace's role was to purchase a building so that the co-op could expand and do a lot more with local fresh produce and meats and dairy. So, so that was about 10 years ago now. And it's and it's of still a vibrant, active co-op, right? It's doing well in this in, in these times. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly hiccups, but I think the pandemic reminded the entire community how essential it is to have small markets where we feel safe and where we can buy locally sourced food. And certainly for our farmers, that co-op sells hundreds of thousands of dollars of local product. And a lot of our small farms, it's their primary, if not their only market. So it's been a totally essential piece of the puzzle of that small farm viability. Uh, one of the places that I love to go to is Red Fire Farm. And at the uh, every other Saturday in Northampton at the Senior Center, there's a, a winter farmer's market. And the line goes around the whole the whole senior center to get into Red Fire Farm. You have a relationship with Red Fire as well, is that right? That's right. And I'll share with you, Mount Grace has a relationship and then I have a personal relationship. But that was one of our initial whole farm affordability projects. So Mount Grace actually owns the land and then we have a hundred year lease with the Voilands. So one of the challenges that Mount Grace has really been trying to take on is that we're about to see about 70% of our Massachusetts farmland change hands in the next five to 10 years. And so for young farmers who don't necessarily inherit either significant money or farmland, it's a real question about how they can enter the agricultural space in a way that they can afford. So Mount Grace has been trying to figure out how to help with that transition. And Red Fire Farm was one of those projects and we've now done five of them across our 23 town region. And then personally, Red Fire Farm, they purchased their farmland from Blue Meadow Farm, which is the farm that as a young person I grew up working on. So I started there picking tomatoes and peppers when I was about 11 years old and then all through college and even graduate school, I would work there on school breaks. So it's a it's a piece of property that I am particularly attached to. Well, I guess it's a, a interesting history. And let's look at your personal history. You you picked tomatoes on the farm, and you went to school in African art history. You became a labor organizer for twenty years, and now for the last three years, you've been executive director at Mount Grace Land Trust. How how did that happen? <laughs> well, I won't go into all the details, but it has really been rich and wonderful to take the organizing experience that I learned for the union and think about how that applies to land conservation. And, you know, particularly in the North Quabbin region, we're a pretty polarized society. And, you know, whether it's electoral politics or social politics, and love of the land is one of our great unifiers. And so that's something I take profound pleasure in and feel very challenged by is how do we rebuild community around this shared love of the out of doors? Um, so that's where the, the labor union experience kind of comes to play. But I also grew up, my father, Alan Ross, uh, was out of Montague and he was a selectman and he was on the board of Mount Grace back in the 90s. 
So, and my stepfather, Jay, and parent was part of the foundation of Just Roots in Greenfield, Massachusetts. So land conservation and connection to land is deep roots in my family. I guess that sounds really uh, an, an interesting job history for you as it continues to be. Let's talk a little bit about that polarization. Not only does Mount Grace uh, conserve and protect land, but uh, you also uh, um, forest and log on some of that protected land. And that's been really controversial on the state level lately, this whole concept of controversy over the logging of state lands. As many of our listeners know, Governor Healy has proposed a moratorium on logging on state-owned forest land. And there are a number of conservation organizations, including Mount Grace, that are opposed to that moratorium. Can you talk about your position on the moratorium on logging on state forest? Sure. And I'm going to evade your question a little bit because I do think that coming back to the unifier, which is that the there are over a million acres in danger of development in the state of Massachusetts that have been identified as top conservation priority lands. And the greatest threat to our biodiversity in this commonwealth and to you know climate impacts is that development and we have new development threats than we've seen in the past even five years ago so i think sometimes we find the things that divide us rather than the things that unify us and so keeping our eyes on that prize of conserving that a million acres feels really important to me um, in terms of the land restoration or active forestry piece. Um, you know, Mount Grace is a big, we live under a big tent. So we have land that we've protected that we've put into forever wild easements. And we have land that we've protected that is actively managed or actively logged. And that includes the land that Mount Grace owns itself. We have both and we believe in approaching the landscape with a lot of balance and site specificity. So in terms of where forestry, I think, plays a really critical role in both thinking about climate impacts, but also that critical biodiversity piece. On the climate side, I think there's a lot of science out there that our forest lands are actually what you would call overstocked so that the density of our trees based on the history of when the entire landscape was cleared primarily for sheep farms and agriculture over 150 years ago to now has resulted in these really densely packed stands and when stands are that densely packed and of a singular age class so basically all the trees are the same age you are very susceptible to mortality, whether mortality from our normal native pestilence, things like the hemlock looper, or to new invasives, things like the hemlock woolly adelgid. So making sure that trees have some room to grow and some space to breathe and air flowing between them can actually help our overall forest resilience. So what we're actually seeing is declining growth in our forest populations at the time when what we really need is increased growth 
so that our trees have room to sequester more carbon. And there's also, so, I'm sorry, Emma, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. Well, uh, we are going to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like to ask both you and Brian, and I'll, I'll, maybe I should ask the question now and set it up uh, so during the break you can think about it. We um, in Ashfield gave our town common to a local, one of your sister land trusts, the Franklin Land Trust, and there was a big debate about whether or not we should be doing that. And one of the arguments was, even though we all want land conservation, is it snob zoning? In essence, there's a lack of housing around here. And by removing land from the potential pool of land which could support housing, particularly since another thing, Brian, that Governor Healy said in her inaugural remarks is the commitment of the Commonwealth to more affordable housing, to expanding housing for people so we can end the homeless blight. So I, I'm wondering whether there's a consequence, an unintended consequence, by removing land from development possibility of making a smaller inventory of housing for those who need it. We're going to come back. We're talking to Director Emma Ellsworth of the Mount Grace Land Trust and Brian Adams, and we'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time ago. Where have all the flowers gone? Girls have picked them, everyone. Oh, when will you? More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hi, this is Linda DeGillis, Vice President and Trust Officer at Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services. Investing your money does not mean having to abandon your core values. Environmental and social governance investments, also called ESG investments, allow you to focus your money in businesses and industries that match your environmental and social values and avoid those which do not. Environmental and social governance investments let you put your money where your values are. ESG investments are just one example of how we create individually designed portfolio management plans for our clients. To learn more about ESG investing in our portfolio management services and for a free consultation, call us at 413-775-8335 or go to the wealth management section of our website at greenfieldsavings.com. Thank you. GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services, offering portfolio management, estate settlement, and trust administration services. Call 413-775-8335 or go to the wealth management section at greenfieldsavings.com. Eat more kale, says the bumper sticker. Why assume I'm not eating enough kale? If you eat at Paul and Elizabeth's, there's always kale. There's the Caesar salad with kale, with romaine, or both. There's the vegetarian platter, vegetables sauteed to perfection, including kale. Or just order a side of sauteed greens. Some people treat kale like one of those good-for-you-but-no-one-really-likes-it things. Maybe those people have never been to Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. Inside Thorns in Northampton. 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. We're talking with Emma Ellsworth. She is the executive director of Mount Grace Land Trust, which has protected over 37,000 acres of land in the North Quabbin area. Before break, we talked about the question of this tension between housing, particularly affordable housing, uh, and and locking up land in, and taking it off the table for development. Uh, Emma, your thoughts. Um, we certainly need more housing in the state and in some of our rural areas, particularly affordable housing. Uh, how does Mount Grace factor into that, that uh, issue? Yeah, I really love that question because I think it's particularly relevant right now. And Mount Grace is certainly exploring how can we think about compromises differently around land that's prioritized for conservation and land that can be made accessible for affordable housing and just housing in general. And so we're currently contemplating a couple different projects where, you know, for example, if we ended up with a 200 acre parcel and 10 acres of it isn't particularly high conservation value, what would it mean for us to sort of peel that out, collaborate with a not-for-profit that specializes in affordable housing so that they could build some units in that 10 acres and then the remainder of the land is protected. And the other thing that I love about that is we're learning so much more about how being in the out of doors helps both our mental and our physical health. So think about what it means to have some trails and some beautiful outdoor space that's immediately accessible to those families living in the affordable housing units. So I think that unfortunately there's been this sort of sense that you have to pick one or the other, conservation or housing. And I think there's actually a really beautiful marriage if we put some brain power to it. I'm on the uh, Community Preservation Committee in my town, which is Northampton, and we sort of deal with both affordable housing as well as um, land conservation. And the city of Northampton has done that in some really creative ways as well, which is sort of purchasing large tracts of land, carving out a few acres, uh, and putting that into housing. And then part of that is that it's able to pay for the, pay for the, the purchase of some of this open space while carving out certain segments for housing, and sometimes affordable housing, working with Habitat for Humanity to put up some units. Um, it's, really, it's really exciting. Uh, Emma, not only do you set aside land for forestry and uh, for farmland, but you're also active in some of the larger climate change issues. And one of the things that Mount Grace is noted for was helping to stop the frack gas pipeline running through the North Quabbin area. Uh, can you talk about that, the work that Mount Grace did in terms of stopping that pipeline? Sure. Um, it was before my tenure at Mount Grace, so I can't speak to it you know, directly. But my understanding is that the pipeline path was planned to go through some beautiful open forest land that Mount Grace had acquired for conservation. And so the feeling was that it was going to be a violation of that conservation mandate. And actually, um, we had talked earlier about the attorney, David Singer, who is a longtime um, attorney for Mount Grace and guide of Mount Grace and an initial founder. And he was the one that really headed up that legal battle 
to make sure that the protections of the conservation land were upheld. So that was, I know, a big piece of that struggle. 37,000 acres protected by Mount Grace. That's really impressive. Are you working on a big project now, or what are, what are some of the projects you have in the pipeline? Not in the frac sure. gas, not the frac gas no. pipeline, <laughs> but the land conservation <laughs> pipeline. The wildlife pipeline. Well, we just completed a spectacular project, which is really exemplary of the type of work we do. We partnered with Mass Audubon, and it was focused on three towns, the town of Warwick, Orange, and Royalston, involves some beautiful cold water streams, farmland, as well as forest land. And so we had 12 different parcels, 11 different landowners, and um, it's all you know, that project is protected. So that's sort of like our leading tool is to use a partnership grant through DCR so that we can put DCR, together, you know, and DCR is sorry, who now? Department of Conservation and Recreation. Okay. So they're the, the granting mechanism. And so we have another project, another application that we're preparing these projects take several years for us to compile because we're often dealing with multiple landowners and they're relatively complex and also other land conservation partners. But the end result is that we can protect hundreds of acres and have a landscape level impact, which is pretty special. And like I said, we really prioritize that contiguous landscape so that our wildlife has some room to move when temperatures fluctuate to try and build in that resilience. Do you have so, a Do you have a particular parcel that Mount Grace is protected that you would call your favorite or one of your favorites that you can share with us? Well, like I said at the start of the interview, I literally live on the backside of Tully Mountain, so and that was part of the Tully project. Um, so it's eight thousand protected acres, and that's a combination of private land ownership and also statewide land ownership. So it is literally, when I think about protecting my backyard, that's my backyard. Hi, this is Bill. I, I have a question about your conservation efforts and in particular what those efforts uh, reflect with regard to climate change. When you preserve this land, do you introduce uh, trees, for example, that might be more able to uh, survive in a warmer climate, or do you just let, uh, perhaps a bad phrase, nature take its course? Sure. So we target our conservation. I think it's a great question. And conservation is really seen as the leading natural solution to mitigate climate change. So just protecting the landscape alone is doing a lot of work. But then we don't necessarily have to do a lot of active tree planting. Um, but we think about how we manage our forest for that biodiversity. So thinking about, you know, in our management techniques, are we making sure that we have a wide variety of species growing? Do we have resilient species? Do we have species that are a little bit more unusual? Um, think a lot about the white oak, which in and of itself supports 500 different pollinator species. and without active management, we're not getting a lot of oak regeneration. So we do a lot of work to make sure in our land management that we're planning for that. And we also control invasives. 
So we think about the removal of non-native species and of invasive species. Emma, we are unfortunately just about out of time. How can people get in touch with Mount Grace Land Trust, either as those folks wanting to contribute or volunteer or even um, work with you in terms of donating land or locking land up for conservation? Absolutely. Contact us at mountgrace.org. So that's M-O-U-N-T-G-R-A-C-E dot org. And there's a wonderful video on the website, which is really worth watching, that highlights some of the wonderful conservation work that you do. Uh, we've been talking with Emma Ellsworth. Emma is the executive director of Mount Grace Land Trust. It's protected over 37,000 acres in our beautiful and diverse North Quabbin area. Emma, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you indeed. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for all you do, Emma. Uh, and Brian, thank you for bringing Mount Grace to our attention as it deserves. We're going to be back with Take 5 with Ruth Griggs, I think we're going to hear some live a cappella jazz right after these messages. Stay with us. West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, country road. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Holyoke Police Department sergeant has been placed on a five-day suspension without pay, according to Holyoke Police Captain Matthew Moriarty. The Holyoke Police Department confirmed as of Tuesday the sergeant's suspension was a direct result of a completed internal affairs investigation for allegedly violating the standard operating procedure. These investigation findings were sustained by Holyoke Police Department's administration. Hamden District Attorney Anthony Golini says his office is conducting an investigation into the use of force by Massachusetts State Police after being called for a man acting aggressively at MGM Springfield. Golini spoke with 22 News. We're in the process of assembling all evidence. We're observing national best practices around police use of force. And when that investigation is complete, we will, in the interest of full transparency with the public and all those concerned, issue findings and a decision as well as all the evidence, including video and so forth, that came from that incident. William Tisdell of Hartford, Connecticut, was shot and killed by police. The investigation is expected to conclude over the next few weeks. The Greenfield City Council will have a number of open seats for the upcoming election, with multiple councillors not seeking re-election. City Council President Dan Gwynn and Vice President Christine Forgey are not seeking re-election, as well as several other councillors. In a time where they are criticized for things that are not in their control, it makes this a tough time to serve in a volunteer position. That was Dan Gwynn. Anyone with intentions of running for a city council seat can take out papers to do so on April 24th. Any showers this morning will quickly dry up to some partial afternoon sunshine, a high of 44 to 48, clearing, breezy tonight, overnight low of 20 to 26. Clouds will be on the increase tomorrow. Snow arrives after 4 p.m. That'll transition over to a wintry mix Friday night. Friday's highs in the low 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. Tag your it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman Program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015, 
Forbes Library Outreach Delivery Service caters to residents of any age who are homebound due to short or long-term disability in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. A volunteer will deliver your specific requests or select materials for you based on your interests. We offer books, magazines, CDs, DVDs, and puzzles. Call 413-587-1019 or sign up at ForbesLibrary.org outreach. Extra Card has introduced the Extra Debit Card, and company executives say using it responsibly will raise your credit score. When you make a purchase, Extra pays the merchant immediately and then withdraws the purchase amount from your bank account. No credit check is necessary. If you haven't filed your federal tax return yet, you have plenty of company. A survey by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce found that 31% of taxpayers across the country were likely to procrastinate on filing their taxes. Baby boomers were the least likely to put off filing. In a new consumer affairs study, 35% of respondents said the cost of living is so high they're thinking of moving to a cheaper state. But where? That's what consumer affairs researchers ask and determined that North Dakota has the lowest cost of living in the U.S., followed by West Virginia and Michigan. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is Talk the Talk. And this is Take 5 with Ruth Griggs, and you have a special guest today, Ruth. I do have a special guest today. Thank you, Buzz. Um, today we are, we are having um, some time with Carol Abbey-Smith, who is a woman of many talents. She is a jazz vocalist. That's how I think of her first and foremost, but Thank she's you. also a business person. <laughs> she's been with Delap Realty forever. Forget my she's job as a realtor. I want to be known as a vocalist. <laughs> a jazz vocalist, and she is on the board of directors of the Northampton Jazz Festival, and she's just part of, I know, my my jazz family here in the Valley. So Well, it's also what, what Carol's been doing in East Hampton is pretty special. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Nice segue, Buzz. Okay. We're going to talk about um, what has got, gotten to be known as Carol's Jazz Night um, at the Blue Room at City Space. So we're going to start by talking a little bit about City Space and the Blue Room and kind of where it's at. And then let's talk about your series, okay. Carol. Great. Um, glad to be here again. It seems like this is getting to be a semi-regular thing. Um, yeah, the Blue Room has really been taking off in City Space. If you haven't been over there, it's a beautiful room. In East it's Hampton. Blue. It's, it's a midnight blue. We have a stage. We have a sound system. We have theater lighting. We can seat up to about 90 people, standing room 125, but we've been really booking up. It's a very reasonably priced rental space. And where is it? It's uh, it's in the old town hall in, in East Hampton, 43 Main Street, and it became city space after the city gave up the building, um, and it's been about 14 years, and a nonprofit has taken it over. We have a board, and our our goal has been to make this a usable space for the arts, for the community. So far, we've finished the whole first floor renovation. We just refinished the floors. They're beautiful. <laughs> and uh, our next 
project is phase two, which will build an elevator that has to be attached to the building to service all four floors. If um, we're hoping to raise, doesn't seem like a huge amount considering the total price of everything, we have to raise about 160000 by March 15th in order to put things out to bid. And this is going to be a this will be the first thing that everybody can see. Something's happening there. It's going to be visible from the street. Um, and that will allow us to be able to finish the second floor, which is going to be a 350-seat performance and community space. It's so important to make it accessible. To yes, you. it is. It is. And it hasn't been for years. That's one of the reasons the town left <laughs> the building. But this diamond in the rough, I think, is the Blue Room. Because yes. the Blue Room was, you know, is easily accessible right there on the first floor. By the way, city, city space town hall is right in the center of town. Right, right after you come out around the Rotary in East Hampton, yeah. it's right there on, on your right or on your, on your left, right across from East Hampton Savings Bank. Yep. So you can't miss it. It's a beautiful renaissance type of building and but the blue room you know valley jazz voices performs there we absolutely adore it um and and it's like be becoming such a popular performance space like so many performance spaces in the area have become much more popular now and have sprung up yep. in the past year or two and and they're they're booking out and yep. so let's talk for a minute about um what what you're doing specifically, Carol, with Carol's Jazz Night at the Blue Room? Well, I started in the fall with just once a month doing Carol's Jazz Night and bringing regional jazz musicians into the room. And that proved to be quite successful. So I thought, all right, I'll apply for an East Hampton Cultural Council grant. And they gave me one. So... Then I had to, okay, I guess I'm going to have to do this in the spring. <laughs> so now I've got four um, nights booked um, in the Blue Room up through uh, mid-June. Um, and the first one um, is happening on the 16th of March. They were supposed to be Wednesday nights, but it was hard, as you know, getting musicians to all, you know. Line up. Line up. So the first one, we're welcoming back Wanda, wonderful Wanda Houston. Mm. And this time she's coming. A vocalist. She's coming with the Convergence uh, Quartet, which is Eugene Uman, Dave Peachy, and John Fisher, and they've done quite a few shows together. So it's going to be a mix of jazz, R&B, and even some Colombian rhythms of Eugene's original music. So that should be a really special night. It's starting at 8 o'clock, which I know is late for our age group, but um, unfortunately Wanda's teaching in New York State. and There are some younger people around. Yes, <laughs> that's true. That yeah. is true. Yeah, it, it's going to be a wonderful concert with just a whole mixed variety of music, yep. and Wanda... Is it just she just she just packs it, yep. and you know she has um, Broadway experience, she has jazz experience, so she brings all of those genres to her singing, and it absolutely electrifies yep. the audience. Yep. Um, which and and her buds, I mean, she's played with Eugene Newman and John Fisher and David Peachy a lot, so they're yep. going to be tight as ticks yep. up yep. there. Yep. And it's it's going to be real. So it's again, it's Thursday, March sixteenth at eight o'clock. Yep. Um, tickets are available. Uh, go to City Space and under events, um, you can purchase tickets there. So it's City Space East Hampton dot org. Yep. And I think tickets are only like fifteen bucks. Or fifteen something. bucks um, online. You save money because if you you come at the door it's twenty dollars we've decided to kind of encourage people 
so we have some okay. advanced. Yeah, and I know it was just said, but I just want to reiterate, I've been to the space, and it's not just the quality of the music. Yeah. Obviously, that's yeah. what primarily yeah. you go for. It's a great space. It is. It's it a is. wonderful performing art space. It's Acoustically, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. It's just, it's kind of like, I think it's like the perfect size. Mm-hmm. Um and the other thing is they don't have a liquor license yet, but it's you're totally it's okay if you want a BYOB. Yeah. So you can bring a, a bottle of wine and share it with your buds. You bring I, I sit in the back Food. and I bring my little my little sandwich and I sit there and enjoy it. It's yep. it's really yep. comfortable. And we're working on getting the one day thirty times a year liquor licenses. So hopefully by the April show we may have that in place. Um, right. And then coming up on April 5th, and I'm really excited about this because I reached out to Richie Barche, who is an incredible drummer that's moved to the area about a year ago. And um, I reached out to him and I said, ah, can you get a group together for me? And he mentioned some names and I said, you know, I really love the Curtis Brothers. Um, and Zakai and uh, Lucas. Born and raised in Hartford, as was Richie. They all went to um, the high school of performing arts in Hartford. Um, and one went to Berkeley. The other one went to New England Conservatory. And they've been down in New York for a number of years and playing with, you know, like Eddie Palmieri, Donald Harrison, right. all these big names. They, <laughs> right. Sakai Curtis yeah. played with um, the... Um, the Art Blakey yep. uh, Centennial for the Jazz yep. Festival. Yep. Yeah, yep. so and that's Rich- going to be a, yep. tri- a trio. It, no, it's going. To, uh, it's yes, it's going to be a trio with Richie on drums, who's been playing with the tours with the Klezmetics, Um and we're lucky that he's local now. And uh, Evan Arnston, who played in the fall, is going to be sitting in with him. I, that was sort of my suggestion. Evan is a wonderful <laughs> clarinetist and saxophonist who's been a guest. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's uh, s- sort of recently moved up to the area from yep. New York. So yep. he's he a really yeah, he's incredible. He's played for us live right He's here. played yes. for us live. Both of you are, are vocalists. And, um, I mean, for me, it's just so incredible how this region attracts so many great musicians. Not just jazz musicians, no, but all totally. sorts of genres. We yeah. just had one in Sandy Bailey, yeah. and we have the Back Porch Festival, yep. which is happening this yep. weekend, like the Northampton Jazz Festival. So much talent that's from here. Yeah. It's great. It is. It's 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 spectacular. And I was just talking to Burns Maxi, our president, and we're hoping to um, host a series of different kinds of music, everything from the dead, <laughs> you know, the Grateful Dead kind of thing, which apparently had a huge outpouring when they had something in the fall. So, um, yeah, we're really excited to be doing there's things. A, there's a lot of creativity going on in terms, yeah. of, in terms of music in the Valley. And just before our break, I just want to also mention that, there, you know, there's, there's like lo- local pop-up things that happen at the Blue Room, too. This Saturday, March 4th, if you're not going to the Back Porch Festival, if you want to hear some jazz, there's, it, it's called the East Hampton Jazz Party. <laughs> there's two super local bands, Now's the Time and A New Blue, followed by a jam session where you know vocalists like us can bring our charts and you bring again you bring you bring your buddies mm-hmm. and uh, it starts at six it's free yep six o'clock on Saturday um, East Hampton jazz party it's gonna just be super fun yep. so yep. we're gonna we're gonna hear I think a little bit of the Curtis brothers um, in the break and then we'll come back and we may hear from Carol Abby Smith giving us a little song. <laughs> Thank you. 
This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. If only there were an indoor, climate-controlled farmer's market every day of the year. Oh, but there is. At State Street Fruit Store, Deli Wines and Spirits, farmers are bringing in their best from the field, orchards, and greenhouses every day. The best of the crop from wherever the crop is best, starting with fiddleheads and asparagus, all the way through berry season, corn, and into the root veggies, and hothouse stuff to get you through a New England winter. Plus, you can grab a bottle of burgundy or bourbon. And since it's open every day of the year, it's like a farmer's market every day of the year. But no rain, no snow, no heat wave, and they open at 6.30 a.m. every day of the year. Those are farmer's hours. Since the market is inside the building, there's plenty of room to park in the lot. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits on the corner of State and Center in downtown Northampton. It's like an indoor farmer's market every day of the year. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. Are you an immigrant worried about your future? Do you want to change your life? At Center for New Americans, you can take English classes for free. They help immigrants with jobs, licenses, healthcare, as well as immigration and citizenship. CNA helps you create a better future. CNA is like family you can trust that gives you hope and confidence that there is always support for various situations. They help dreams come true. Do you want to be a part of Center for New Americans? Visit our website at cnam.org. Call 413-587-0084. Center for New Americans, with offices in Amherst, Northampton, and Greenfield. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. We are talking music. It is a Take 5 uh, weekly segment with Ruth Griggs and Carol Abby Smith. Yes, uh, so nice to have Carol in the studio with us today. And again, I want to remind you that, that Carol is a jazz vocalist, and she is an incredible scat singer. I love when she scats, and she's been singing for years. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, your, your own jazz history and vocalizing for a few minutes? Uh, yes, I, my dad played all the big band music, from the 30s and 40s, my mom was a stride piano player, knew all the standards. 
Uh, I've not been ev ever very good at practicing, so kind of snuck up on doing, actually starting to sing professionally when I was in my early 50s. And uh, I went to some jazz camps and I said, I don't want to sing with the singers, I want to hang out with the band and so I could scat. So that's kind of where I approached it. I listen to more horn players than I do singers, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's sort of where I came from. Um, so I have a quick question sure. for you. Is there an essential difference between using your voice as an instrument and using a more traditional instrument as an instrument? Um, not really, because you have to you have to hear the music and understand the chord changes as you would on an instrument any instrument. And I took up alto sax about four years ago. Again, I don't practice, but I love playing it. Um, I will not do it publicly anytime in the near future. <laughs> but yes, um, yes, it is very similar. Yeah, you have to you have to hear the music, the chord changes, the melody. It has to be in your head to do it successfully. It also helps to have relative pitch, which is what Carol has. Yeah, yeah. well, but you know, it isn't Christmas time. But how about if we go caroling? <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Buzz. Take it away, Carol. Okay. Well, this is a spring tune, so I know we were all thought we were on our way to spring, but. Um, I, I know this is a favorite of Ruth, so. I was out serenading and high hopes were fading that dreams ever really come true. Then up jumped spring time. I got a look at you. All at once, I was heady, a gaze long and steady, made dreams of the clutter grow dim. Then up jumped spring time, and love came on in. Now my heart wants to hear love's sweet promise here, and love is a lovely thing. We are sweet. Hearts together like birds in a feather. Our love is as free as the wind. Then up jumped spring time. So hello, my friend. Wow. <laughs> Yay, let's hope. Hey, March came in like a lion yeah, and went out with a scat. <laughs> well, you know, what do we expect? We had a mild winter. You know we're going to get nailed. You know, yeah, no, that's, it's, it's <laughs> all good. So thank you, Carol. Thank you for that. And I, and I hope that, that, you know, that folks out there enjoyed it and your ears are feeling happy. And, I, Carol, I don't want to, to leave without having you talk a little bit more about the last push of fundraising for City Space in the next two weeks. In the next two weeks, yes. We're kind of at a crucial stage. Um, we started out at right after the holidays having to raise about $430,000 in order for us to start the project in March by March 15th. We have to do this because if we don't put out to bid the timeline, we'd have to wait a whole nother year. We've been fortunate to whittle that down to 160 grand, which in the scheme of things, because it's an $8.5 million project now as construction prices keep going up, as we all know. So we really, really, are desperate to get this going by March 15th. If you know anybody, any of these, you know, people that 
you know, 10 grand, 20 grand is no big deal. Send them my way. Send them to Burns Maxi. Reach out to City Space. Um, we are reaching the, the, the end line here, and we hope to be able to make it. Otherwise, it's another whole year, and we've been working on this for 14 years. So it's just $160,000 yeah. that's needed between now and March, March 15th. And go to cityspaceeasthampton.org. Seriously, you know, it, go to the Blue Room. Look at this beautiful, iconic building. It's it's a. Also, I want to add that Burns Maxey was just nominated. was just named a difference maker mm -hmm. by Business West because of her efforts in doing this. Yeah. So show the love to East Hampton. What we're doing here in the Valley, music, and and make a donation to City Space at cityspaceeasthampton.org oh, yeah. between now and the 15th of March. It is hard to overstate how um, how wonderful it feels that we have these new performing arts venues mm -hmm. in the Drake and Amherst. Yep. No cover to get in. Yep. Great music once you get there. Yep. Bombix is so affordable. City space is so affordable. It's affordable and and it's a rentable space. And I think our rents are the cheapest of any in the valley. I, I think thirty bucks an hour to rent during the weekdays, forty bucks an hour um, on the weekends. We have theater going on there. We have workshops aside from music. We have a lot of theater going on in, in April, and we have a program called Pay It Forward that Burns started to bring. People that have creative ideas but don't know how to go about making it happen. So it's funded. They actually get paid to come in and, and do their thing. And they get marketing help. They get help with production, all of that kind of stuff. And it's So the, the City Space in the Blue Room has a mission of really mm -hmm. supporting artists and enabling artists to to do their craft and to bring it forward to audiences. Right. And you know whether you're Wanda Houston and Eugene Newman, professional musicians yep. their entire careers, or a young artist who just wants to 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 see what the reaction is to his or her art. Yep. It's uh it's a it's it's got an excellent mission. And again, Burns Maxey is behind that as yep. an artist and as someone who really believes in promoting art in this valley. Yep. So it's it's and Carol Abby Smith, you were talking about accessibility. You were, part of that money that you yes. did is for, for an elevator. Elevator, which is it, necessary. It's in a whole separate story. building that's attached to the building and. Right, but this is a different kind of accessibility. Yes, it not is not just physical accessibility, yep. but making the space accessible for people who can't, who love music, yes, and can't really afford high pr ticket yes. prices. But yep. also the artists themselves. It's yes. an accessible space. Yep, no, totally. And, and we're, we've got the only stage that actually has a ramp, and even though it's a low stage, going to it, the city said we had to make it accessible, and we did. It cost us an extra, I think, $30,000 to bake the ramp and the, the metal railings to go to it, but we did it. We yeah. did it. Um, so again, we have um, the Blue Room performance um, for Carol's Jazz Night of the Convergence Quartet. That's happening on Thursday, March 16th at 8 o'clock. Make your donation until March <laughs> March 15th, and then go and celebrate at this incredible concert with Wanda Houston as the vocalist. And then stay in touch with cityspaceeasthampton.org because, again, Carol's got other events going on. 
So does the Blue Room. Yep. Again, there's the East Hampton Jazz Party that's yep. free this yep. Saturday starting at 6 o'clock. So there's lots of new things going on all the time at, yep. at, totally. at City Space and, and the Blue Room. Yep. So hope to see you there. Thank you so much. Well, uh, I am, I'm so excited, and uh, I hope I could go this weekend. I'll have to talk. Oh, I can't go this weekend because we have dinner guests, but <laughs> I will be there soon. Okay, cool. Yeah. That would be great, Buzz. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Ruth, do you have any performances coming up? Uh, Valley Jazz Voices had a performance at the Blue Room in January, and it was incredibly well yep. um, attended. It yep. was a beautiful concert, and and my my guest in a couple of we a couple of weeks is going to be Paul Arslanian, and mm. he's going to be talking all about the jazz workshop, the Northampton Jazz Workshop that is now taking place at the Drake. He is getting um, the kind of financial support and. Um, visibility and interest like he's never seen before. So there's lots going on, and I think spring is definitely jumping up. And, and soon. I'd like to say that I, I'm proud that we're paying musicians what they're worth. You know, so many of them have just been pay, playing at restaurants for nickels and dimes, and I want to make sure they get paid for what they're worth. And Ditto. what they're worth is making Ditto. our lives better. Exactly. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ruth Griggs. Thank you, Carol. We'll be back tomorrow. This is Talk the Talk. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.